The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents No Neutrality, where we have a roundtable of contributors pushing the antithesis in every area of life. From family to government, apologetics to homeschooling, being a wife and a mother, a husband, a father, single, widow, business owner or employee, you will hear commentary, essays, lectures, blogs and battle plans on how to bring forth the Christian worldview to all of life. Well, I'm going to try to put into words the nature of the transition that's taken place from the time of the fall to the redemptive cross of Jesus Christ and how the cross of Christ transforms the government structures of the world and Jesus has explicitly said brings us back to the original plan of God in the garden where he um, where he said from the beginning it was not so I don't want you to do things such and such a way even though Moses told you to do it from the beginning this is how you do it so in short, the restraint of authoritarian government was granted by God to protect humanity from the death which God had promised to those who rebelled against him. The rebels who try to live as if they are God in his world when they're not God in his world, and the world is going to destroy him. Now, as bad as authoritarian tyranny can be, anarchy is worse. If God had left humanity to do whatever it wanted, his promise of death would be a sentence they would swiftly carry out on themselves as their own suicidal executioners. Now this authoritarian government is granted in the curse specifically to the woman, and the family is mercifully spared an egalitarian meltdown by God's gift of male supremacy. The same is true of society. Without autocratic kings, there would be no humanity to build toward the future God intended. And so God works with kings and emperors, warlords and prophets, he works with patriarchs to limit the deadly effect of sin in, that form of, in those forms of government. It's a form of cursed redemption, you might say, similar to the one he handed Pharaoh in Egypt through Joseph. Yes, they survived the famine, but they were enslaved to the state who now owned them. Central authoritarian governments are God's gift to death-cursed anarchy to prevent the self-destruction of the world. Now, but this state of affairs is not the end goal for God's plan. It's sort of like martial law until order can be restored and what he actually planned from the beginning can begin to be implemented. In due season, in the fullness of time, God would come himself and pay the price to bring an end to that curse which staved off the death which he had promised. From the fall to the cross, the political solution was to enslave men and women to central government control that is, to kings, and to subject women to their husbands. That's patriarchy. Now, God, by personally coming, paid on the cross in Jesus Christ the full price for the restoration of humanity, a restoration that would span from the resurrection to the end of history. History would end when the restoration was complete and the original plan in the garden was established and the earth is filled with the glory of God as the waters covered the sea with mankind governing itself in full heartfelt conformity to his law, 
no longer needed it to be needing it to be enforced from the outside by governments of men who themselves only partially understood how to how to apply it now that restoration of the cross begins with the restoration of individual people which frees them from slavery not only the slavery of sin which is commonly preached on but in time the slavery imposed by governments having to force them to be good their freedom comes in direct proportion to their ability to govern themselves from the heart making an external forceful caretaker government less and less necessary a government that is what kept them alive from the fall to the cross but now a government that gets in the way of the growth of God's people into full self self-ruling self-governing maturity they begin by the power of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God dwelling in them richly to see their lives change from lives requiring external force to conform to God's law to lives conform to God's law from the heart this changes not only their personal life but everything they do and in time how they relate to each other as they grow in grace and knowledge and the understanding of freedom through self-government by God's law they discover that pure authoritarian government is not necessary they can expand to other forms of government that are more representative of the freedom of God's law now Jesus made this growth away from authoritarian power in the family explicit when he brought an end to God's provision to men through Moses of the power a man had to divorce his wife for any reason Jesus said from the beginning it was not so and his disciples were so shocked they despaired of the possibility of marriage itself working that's really one of the most amazing verses I've ever read see for them authoritarian governor in marriage was the only way it had worked since the dawn of time who heard of such a thing as being able to just give your wife freedom that she knows that you can't just divorce her for any reason you want now what's gonna happen and so they asked Jesus perhaps it's better not to marry them see Jesus didn't leave them hanging he inspired Paul to add some instructions of what it means for husbands and wives to govern their marriage in his uh, I would say new world order but it's not in his old world order and from the beginning the way he intended them to love one another the message on submission is in Ephesians 5 it begins with the call for submitting to each other Paul then outlines how different groups submit husbands wives slaves children and so forth how they do it women submit by submitting it doesn't say much more than that I think most women can figure out what their lot in life has been they submit and think oh great we're back to the pre pre-cross way of getting along but then he gets really colorful with the men he says men submit by serving their wives so radically it can be compared to Jesus dying for them now the reason I say serve their wives is because the final word on government that Jesus gave when he was there in the upper room both in the washing of the feet as well as when the people as, as well as when his disciples realized that he said hey he's gonna be betrayed and died the first thing that breaks out is okay who's gonna run this organization when Jesus is gone and so they're saying who which of us is the greatest who's the best who's the one who ought to do it would it be Peter John I mean I don't know who would it be and Jesus reaction Jesus response to them was that that they were to rule just as if they were servants he washes their feet and says 
that's the power of your rule. He washes, uh, he, he listens to their argument over who is the greatest. Jesus, you've got to choose one of us to be the greatest. And Jesus says, no, no. The master of the house sits at the table. I am among you as a servant. That's how you rule. And right here, the way Paul says that the husband rules the wife is by serving her as a servant, as radically as Jesus Christ, the God of the universe, serve you. See, obviously, Paul is not envisioning here a power structure where we're concerned for who dictates policy. It's not even a consideration in this model. Women, submit to your husbands. Husband, die for your wife the way Jesus did. Serve her. See, power of government in the family is no longer about who is, the, who is in control anymore. It's not that a woman rules over her husband now. Oh, God, thank you so much. Now I get to be in charge. It's that, it's that Christ rules over them and they outdo one another in loving service, not in who has the last word. Have you ever listened to husbands and wives try to get the last word? It's the damnedest embarrassment you can ever listen to. I wish I didn't have to listen to myself doing it so often. That's how I know how bad it is. The last word is only relevant in a pre-cross social order, a pre-redemptive power structure, a pre-cross family, a pre-cross marriage. This is how the swords in marriage are beaten into plowshares. All those struck, stuck in pre-cross power structure marriages can ask is, so how is the plowing going to get done if no one's in charge? They don't bother to look to see they don't have swords anymore to fight each other with. Easy. We now have plowshares. And whoever is best fit to plow that row does that row. And, and everybody else digs in and helps. So, so the other one can enjoy the fruit of their labor. There's so many different rows to plow in a marriage. A marriage isn't just about who gets the last word. Isn't it about who decides what? The marriage about who serves who. And, and, and the more opportunities you have to serve, they, they, they just multiply as the swords become fitted to the true task of marriage. The same holds for the church. Now, this is how the world looks at power. I want to remind you again. If you want to lead or rule, you must control the things that people need and want so as to make them submit to you and what you want in order to get those things. We, we all understand how power and control works, and this is the control of the world. So when Jesus said, in the world, the great ones rule over them, but among you it is not to be so. See, if, if, if you want to lead and rule, you control things, you're the great one, and you make others submit to you to get those things that, that they want. Now, when this pre-cross, fallen, autocratic rule in the world rules in the church as if Christ did not redeem the power structure of his people, then in the church it is the control of the power centers of the faith and the denying that mere people in the church have access to this power except through their elders. Now, this is the way it worked in the, in the older Catholic church. Well, actually, it still does. It, it works like this. You get born, and so you come to the church to get baptized. You know, the water of God put upon you. Then when you get old enough to understand kind of how things work, you come to the church, and the grace is dispensed to you. To add to the grace of baptism, what's dispensed to you is the grace of becoming an adult member in the church and of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Then when you get uh, a little bit older, 
uh, and you want to get married, you come to the church, and the church then dispenses the grace of marriage into your life, and you have Christian marriage. Uh, if you want to, if, if God is calling you to be ordained or be a priest or, or to be, you know, be a monk of some sort or to join an order like the Dominicans or something, then you come to the church and the church then dispenses the grace of God to you. Uh, and, and so you receive the grace of God through the church. You can't just do this on your own. You can't just reach out and grasp it as if it belongs to you, bring strange fire into the matter. It belongs to the church and the church dispenses it through their priests. Um, if, if uh, you sin, why you come to the church, and the church then uh, hears your confession, and the confession, as you're able to confess to the priest, the priest then gives you grace and gives you things to do to repair your breach, it's called reparation, and then spiritually, because the breach isn't just the physical damage you do to people by your sin, it's also the spiritual damage with your relationship to God, they give you the grace through penance to be able to graciously uh, become the sort of Christian that you want to be. Finally, when you die, you come to the church, or you're taken to the church, your body is, where the priest comes to you and you're given extreme unction. You see, the church controls the means of grace that you need to get the grace of God. Now, in the Reformation, uh, this was completely rebelled against. They said, no way does this work. The church is not the organization. The church is the people of God. It's the, you know, they went through the order of salvation. They worked it all around. But here's the interesting thing. At the end of the day, when you look at the governments that they formed, yes, they're a bit more democratic. Yes, you could vote for your elders and so forth. Um, but what was left was still an organization within the church that controlled who, what, what the worship was going to be, what the, sermon, what, what the teaching was going to be, controlled uh, who got to join the church, who could stay in the church, who could go to the communion table and not and get the grace of God there, all these things, who turns the keys of the kingdom, it was still firmly in the hands of, we don't call them priests anymore, we call them elders, because I think that is a more biblical term. I mean, they were correct. It, was a, it seems like, like a huge radical revolution, but when you sit back and lo look, you, you realize, hey, the organization of priests, I'm sorry, elders still controls the means of grace. Now, now doctrinally, we say they don't. There's no question about that. We've broken doctrinally. But organizationally and structurally, you see, we, we function with organizations that act as if Christ did not redeem the power structures of his people. See, because in the church, it's the control of the power centers of the faith that's in the hands of the elders. And they're denied to the mere people in the church to have access to this power, except as they approach through the elders. You want to have access to the power of the church? Submit to the elder. By the way, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that in hostility. I'm saying this is, this is how he did it. It was a true step forward in the priestly method. But it's time to go back and see what Jesus actually said. Because one thing is true. That this sort of control by the elders and the denial of, of any kind of control of the congregation except the control of submission has been the form of authority and power Jesus was willing to let the church exercise for the past 2,000 years. So don't get up on your high horse and say, look at all those sinners out in the church. I mean, it's, it's, Jesus has been working with us as he develops a people who can learn to grow and live in the fullness of what his cross brings to them. We can finally start putting behind us, we can put behind us 
all that pre-cross power structure, which Jesus said in Luke 22, 25, he said, the kings of the world want to rule over you. And they want to do it the world way. And then he says, but this is what rule is supposed to be. You rule when you serve. So scripture is clear in this context. Now I'm going to shift gears slightly here. Women are not to exercise this form of authority over men in churches where only the elders and the pastors and not the congregation exercises this control as if the church was still pre-cross in its understanding of government. That form of government, the martial law that, that preserved the, the humanity of the world uh, up until the time Christ came. If you're going to have that, that sort of a structure, then it's very clear. Women and men are still under the judgment of the curse. They've not been, been liberated in this respect by the cross of Jesus Christ. And under those circumstances, no, a woman should not be getting ordained. I want to be clear about this because for about a year now I've been arguing in print, this is the first time I've spoken anything about it, that women, uh, I, I want to be clear because I've not been arguing that women should be ordained or that if we can just change this authority structure to a post-cross authority structure, we can then sneak women in to be elders and pastors with authority over men. In other words, sneaking ordination in through the back door. That's, that's not at all what I'm talking about here. This is little children trying to imagine what it's like to be married. Well, I, I mean, when I'm married, can I eat chocolate anytime I want? Well, yeah, I mean, no, that's not what being grown up and being married is all about. But yeah, you want to eat chocolate? Go ahead. It's, it's, it's not that kind of a, of a situation. To make this clear, just, just imagine, I could wave my wand and suddenly, oops, excuse me, imagine if I could wave my wand and suddenly all the church elders rule like servants, like Jesus said to. Remember, he said, don't rule like the world does, trying to control the power centers. Rule like servants do who don't have the power to simply say something and the household jumps to it. The servant has to lead a different way. Now, let's just say that that became typical and the books of church order were all rewritten and there was no, no top-down um, you got to do it because I'm the elder. You got to do it because I'm the husband. Kind of a, kind of an approach. But instead, they lead through the power of the Holy Spirit, and the power of the Holy Spirit, moving powerfully the hearts of people to convict them of the truth of the Word of God. Could women in that environment be ordained as elders and pastors? And I would answer once again, no. You've missed the point. It would not be in order for women finally to rule over and control men. That would be feminism. That's trying to apply the world's categories of rule to the kingdom of God and how the kingdom of God understands the rule and how Jesus explained it. See, when that day comes, no pastor or elder will have the sort of authority or power to control men against their will or anyone else, men or women, beyond the authority that comes because the word of God move so powerfully through them and God's hand and wisdom is at work in that person and it's seen so clearly that people grab, ten Jews uh, Gentiles grab a hold of the cloak of one Jew and say take us with you for we can see that God is with you. See it, it's that's the kind of rule and authority not coming out and with a sword saying I'm in charge you do my policy but it's rather being so winsome be, seeing the, the, the power of God at work so strongly, being so persuasive that no man or woman 
needs to rule by forcing somebody to sit in the right pew, to look in the right direction, to, no, when they speak, people will listen. We can trust the Holy Spirit to single out the people that he wants people to listen to. It won't be a matter of trying to, to uh, find out who has the last word in the church. And in time, that will be the authority anyone has in the church. When God liberates his people from authoritarian, externally imposed governments, whether the government of the church or the government of the family or the government of the state. No one will have authority beyond what other Christians believe before God is correct and true. Not men, not women, not nobody. In that day, they will not need someone to teach them, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. Well, does this mean that there are no leaders? No, of course not. It means you're finally in an environment where everybody is developed to the fullest of their ability to produce the greatest fruit, the, 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 the greatest profit. I don't just mean financial profit, but I mean the good for everybody. And in that environment, men will be able to lead because they will finally be the servants of all. The authority of that day will be based on the agreement of people who are governed from the heart by God's law and the grace of Jesus Christ poured out by his spirit. Now, it's a mistake to try to read into this promise the question, yeah, but, but, but who's in charge in the church? I mean, we gotta know who's in charge. The answer is obvious. The one in charge is Jesus Christ. It's the one to whom Jesus says, he hears me and keeps my commandments and his commandments are not grievous, that you love one another. That when you're so busy trying to outdo one another in deeds of brotherly love, that all of a sudden, who's in charge isn't a question. Now, I, I don't know how to get from here to there. I, I, Frankly, I said if I were to wave my magic wand, if I were the one doing it, that's what it would have to be. What I'm looking at is for the last 2,000 years is how Jesus Christ, by the power of his Holy Spirit, by the preaching of his word, by his putting it in every man's hand, by his putting it into people's hearts, has already evoked a transformation that if you were around in 13... Oh, 70, when uh, Wycliffe was starting his English Bible translation, in other words, translating the Bible into a language that only illiterates spoke, and the ones who were literate scarcely even spoke that language to begin with. If we're on Facebook, it'd be LOL. This, this idiot wants to translate the Bible into a language nobody, where nobody can read, uh, <clears throat> and a language of whom those who can't read don't even know how to speak. That was Wycliffe's project, and he said, that this is what's going to make government of the people, by the people, for the people possible. He was talking directly about what happens when the Word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit are in the hearts of each serf, each peasant, each plowboy. <clears throat> now, I don't know how to get from here to there, as I said earlier. If I were a woman, I would be very upset that someone like me, who you've been listening to, can say so calmly, uh, sorry, honey, as long as we men cling to this stopgap uh, measure that God provided to survive the fall because of the hardness of our hearts, ah, you're just the ward of the men. Because that's, honestly, if, if I want to take myself negatively, that's what I hear myself saying. And it, 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 it grieves me deeply. Brothers, it's been 2,000 years since Christ liberated his church from the slavery of bondage to some authoritarian ruler or now club of rulers. 
2,000 years since he ended the need for authoritarian rule to deal with, with anarchy and death and the fall. Can we please have a sense of urgency about growing up and out of this need for a pagan ruler to run our affairs in the church? Let's just baptism, baptize him and call him, him pastor or elder, but give him the powers of the, of the covenant-breaking Gentiles. Can we get on with the church? How long will women stay out on the fields of our plantations before we realize Christ has called us to grow up and let this warfare cease? Is there anyone willing to study the word today to see what the day-to-day -day reality of such a church would be? Is anyone ready to plant such a church? Is anyone willing to study what Jesus actually said? And instead of taking the world's pre-cross solution, which gives only two choices, authoritarianism and life, such as it is, versus anarchy and death, which is the promise of God. And believe what Jesus said, that in this cross, it is possible to discover how to lead like a, lead like a servant. That's not an oxymoron in Jesus Christ. How do you know that? Because that's what he said to do. And he said it specifically in the context of, quit being a damn pagan about your leadership. How do we lead like a servant, abolishing the bondage of the covenant-breaking world to find out how Jesus Christ wants his people to lead so that the big issue is not who's in charge, who's the greatest, who's the, you know, for 2,000 years, every time those passages are preached on, we lampoon the stupid disciples because they want to figure out who's in charge. These arrogant, sorry, I could only think of the name of a wine there. These arrogant people who just want to know, hey, Jesus, who's in charge? Not realizing that it's the cross, baby, that's how you do it. And yet, when the same Christian pastors, and we're going back 2,000 years of every time a sermon is preached on these, or a homily given, when they go to structure the government of the church, they ask the same question of the disciples. Every time your church goes to find a pastor, every time your church goes to find an elder, they ask the question, who's the greatest? Who's the best? Who preaches best? Who's the best administrator? Who does all these things best? And they don't ask the question Jesus told them to ask. Who's the servant? Who gives? Who lays down his life? Who has shown his wife that he dies for her daily instead of trying to figure out how to find a good woman who can just do what I tell him to do? Who understands submission? Who understands leadership? Who understands that the least of these is who's supposed to rule? That's not the questions we've been asking for 2,000 years. Is there anybody who's willing to start studying the scriptures to say, how would such an organization function? Because this is an anti-organizational, it's not anarchy that I'm talking about. It's simply saying, Jesus told us to do something. It's time to quit finding stupid excuses because we don't understand what he said and say, well, <laughs> the world does a pretty good job at it. Let's just do it their way. God help us. Thank you for listening to this episode of No Neutrality on the Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network. Don't forget to visit reconstructionistradio.com to download your favorite audiobooks and podcasts. And if you are a Christian Reconstructionist blogger and you'd like to contribute your blogs into this audio blog format, click on the volunteer link on our website, send us an email, and let us know you'd like to join the team. May Christ be glorified and His kingdom extended from sea to sea, 
and from the rivers to the ends of the earth. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows. Or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom.